0: So uh, Emily Post, uh, you've all heard of her, right? She published the first version of her manual on manners in 1922. I personally lacked a southern cotillion upbringing, so I ranged about like a wild mongrel, uh, one day slouching into a used bookstore to find this curious tome, where I opened it with an untamed laugh and read about the intricacies of napkin folding and attracting men with flower arrangements, or about the delicate dance of how a roast should be served in a home that had, if you can imagine it, no help. (laughs) Ah, never. (laughs) With each entry, my laugh faded as my mouth hung open in an entirely unmannerly way, Throughout her life, Emily Post gave specific instruction to the most detailed of circumstances. And yet, she said, you can boil all of them down to an idea. She said, manners are a sensitive awareness of the feelings of others. If you have that awareness, you have good manners, no matter what fork you're eating with. Thomas Aquinas wrote his Summa Theologica in the 15th century. You can buy the full set for about as much as it will take you to buy a set of heavy-duty bookshelves sturdy enough to support it. If you stacked them up, they'd probably be about as high as this pulpit. It consists of 3,000 articles answering 10,000 questions and objections to the Christian faith. Those of you who come from a Catholic background, the things that you learned... It was Aquinas, this systematic thought. But, even considering the length of this, the Summa Theologica remains unfinished. Before he died, St. Thomas quit writing. No one's exactly sure what happened, but it seems he had some sort of vision of God. And when the vision left, it took his desire to argue with it. A friend urged Thomas to continue writing the Summa, but Thomas said, The end of my labors has come. All that I have written appears to be as so much straw after the things that have been revealed to me. A lawyer approaches Jesus in our gospel. He's sent by the Pharisees, a group of faithful people devoted to the 613 rules found in Scripture. The rules are mostly in Leviticus, and specify things like the kind of goat acceptable for a sacrifice and the bird exchange rate if you can't afford a goat. There are beautiful rules there about how to welcome strangers and neighbors, along with commands to protect the poor and weak members of your society, all mixed in with these elaborate commentaries on discharge that you can't unread. The lawyer approaches Jesus and says, 613 rules, what's the most important one? Jesus quotes Jewish scripture back to him, starting in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Then he quotes that book of rules and regulations, Leviticus, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all that other work, everything else. I hear this verse a lot from folks. Among Jesus' greatest hits, this one definitely has the most traction in mainline Protestantism, which is funny in one way as though Jesus were saying something radical and new, rather than this being an example of two Jews quoting their very old scriptures to each other. But it seems like I hear this quoted in a way that makes it seem so simple. Like, just so long as people know that Christianity is about love, then that's it. If you just... Focus on love, then the rest falls into place. I haven't found it to be quite so simple. In fact, people's ideas of love seem directly opposed a lot of the times. Like, love is a feeling of warmth that I maintain towards others even when they're rude. Or love is an action that's expressed in making a better society. Love makes me put up with someone else's behavior quietly, or love is what makes me tell them that their behavior is harmful. Love is being authentically you, or love is the sensitivity to others that makes you alter your manners accordingly. Love makes me more open to others Or love makes me more defensive of those things that I cherish and protect. It's not so easy. And sometimes love is used as this panacea, like, just add love and it'll be better. I think anyone who has spent any time in a family understands the demands and complications and sacrifices of long-lasting and enduring love. I am suspicious when love looks like the path of least resistance, when it's easy on us, when it's easy for us. And so I admit, sometimes I wish Jesus was a little more specific. Love is the answer in the back of the textbook, but in calculus you had to show pages of work on how you got to the answer. Emily Post went through every scenario before finally saying, be sensitive. Aquinas thought out every answer before saying, one taste of the glory of God made human knowledge like straw. Jesus knew all of the scripture before he could say that these two things could interpret the rest. He didn't just arrive there like some love group guru, dropped out of the sky. Having the right answer, I'm saying, means that sometimes we discard the process of discovery, as though the answer, God is love, checks some cosmic Sunday school attendance box. But it comes from my experience, too, that one of the things folks find most frustrating about the Episcopal Church or at least the really earnest ones who come in looking for answers, having been given answers before, is that they want answers from us. And assume a theologica is exactly what we don't have. I don't know if you realize this, but our catechism is this slim little volume in the back of the prayer book, that little book in the seat back in front of you, It's a good read for the basics of what it means to be Episcopalian, but not exhaustive. There's a reason it's like this. The Anglican tradition was born out of England in a time where we swung from Protestant leaders back to Catholic leaders, back to Protestant-ish. Then we went through civil wars with the Puritans. And the body didn't break apart. It made us unique. We began to say that it wasn't thinking the same way or holding the same tenets that made us who we are. It was our ability to keep praying together that mattered. It wasn't dispensing an unassailable monolith of reasoning that everyone had to subscribe to, though your reason matters deeply if you are being formed in the image of Christ. It wasn't giving out a manual of behavior that determined who was in or who was out, though your actions are paramount in determining the trajectory of your soul. Our unity is in our prayers, in our creeds. It's a sort of beautiful and terrible freedom you've been given around here. You're handed the tools of scripture, tradition, and reason, and you are told to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean to love God with everything you have and your neighbor as yourself? Show your work when you hand in the answer.